Sick Boy Wolfgang Production presents The Halloween Conspiracy with Jerry Horror. A deep dive into the roots and origins of infamous local urban myths, legends, and folklore. Listen closely. Your life may depend on it. Welcome to the Halloween Conspiracy with me, your host, Jerry Hara. Join us for this limited series as we delve into the supernatural phenomenon of this little place we know as Long Island, New York. Don't forget to subscribe and stay updated on all events regarding this podcast. When you're talking about stuff like this, you got to protect yourself, okay? You don't know exactly what you're inviting in, especially when you're tampering with forces that you don't understand and possibly as a mortal could not comprehend. So, as I sit here drinking my Mountain Dew, uh, I've got my rosary beads clutched, I've got my Bible handy, a little bit of holy water, and... uh, As a devout and raised Catholic, I have to say a prayer, something to protect myself from these uh, malevolent forces, so to speak. Lord God, I pray for you, your protection as I begin this day. You are my hiding place, you are my sanctuary, and under your wings, I can always find refuge. Protect me from trouble wherever I go, and keep evil far from me. Amen. Hey, you know what? As they say, it's better to be safe than sorry. Welcome to the Halloween Conspiracy with me, your host, Jerry Hara. As promised, we're going to be getting into one of the more popular stories. And I do say stories because you got to take this whole thing with a grain of salt. Folks, today we're talking about the Amityville Horror. Where did that name come from? Well, it came from the book that was written by American author Jay Anson, who, uh, well, we'll get into it. He was also a family lawyer, to say the least. It was published in September of 1977. It is also the basis for a series of films released from 1979 onward. That film, obviously with Margot Kidder and James Brolin, brought to light this case and some of the experiences and the claims of paranormal activity within this house. They were experienced by the Lutz family, who, that's Jay Anson, was their lawyer, and the rumor is that they concocted this book and some of it is largely untrue. This has also led to a series of lawsuits over the truthfulness of the accounts of the Lutz family, as well as how much of this was really concocted by author Jay Anson. On November 13th, well, let's start with the facts. On November 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family at 108 Ocean Avenue, a large Dutch colonial house situated in a suburban neighborhood in Amityville, New York, on the south shore of Long Island. 
He was convicted of second-degree murder in November of 1975 and sentenced to six terms of 25 years to life in prison. DeFeo died later in custody March 2021. In December 1975, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children got a great deal on a house. And that's what I believe. I think these people got a fantastic deal uh, to a murder house. Hey, look, man, the the cost of housing is expensive. You know, even in the 1970s, these were just working class, regular folks who were looking for a good deal on a house. But I think they got a little bit more than they bargained for. After 28 days, the Lutzes fled the house, claiming to have been terrorized by a paranormal phenomenon while living there. Now, this book that Jay Anson wrote about the 112 Ocean Avenue uh, as remaining empty for 13 months after the DeFeo murders. In December of 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz had bought the house for what was considered to be the bargain price of $80,000. It's a beautiful house. The five-bedroom house was uh, built in the Dutch colonial style and had a distinctive gambrel roof, had a swimming pool, and a boathouse. Doesn't sound too bad to me, folks. Sounds like they're living over there like the Beverly Hillbillies, and they just couldn't afford it. As it was located right on a canal, I mean, come on, this is, look at this, you're on a canal, you got a swimming pool, this sounds pretty good, folks. George and Kathy had married in July 1975, and each had their own homes, but they wanted to start fresh with a new property, a new life. They had high hopes, so to speak. Kathy had three children from a previous marriage. They even had a dog named Harry. Look, this sounds like the Norman Rockwell version of America. Come on. During their final inspection of the house, the real estate broker told them that the DeFeo murders and everything that had happened transpired and asked if it would affect their decision. After discussing the matter, George and Kathleen decided that this was not a problem because, hey, a beautiful house for that, that amount of money. Look, the Lutz family moved in on December 18th of 1975. Much of the DeFeo family's furniture was still in the house, their personal belongings, because it was included for $400 as part of the deal. A friend of George Lutz learned about the history of the house and insisted that he have it blessed by the Catholic Church. At the time, George was a non-practicing Methodist and had to re-experience of what would entail. Kathy was a non-practicing Catholic, and as explained in the process, George knew a Catholic priest named Father Ray who agreed to carry out the house blessing. In Anson's book, real-life priest Father Ralph J. Pecorazzaro, a lot of Italians here on Long Island, as referred to as Father Minusco uh, for privacy reasons. You know, we always know that the names are changed in order to protect the innocent or a bunch of liars. I mean, you decide. So they keep trying to have this house blessed, right? And uh, it doesn't work out. This is pretty crazy. This this is actually, these are these documents that I'm looking at. Father Minusco was a lawyer. He was a judge of the Catholic court and a psychotherapist. He arrived to perform the blessing while George and Kathy were unpacking their belongings on the afternoon of December 18th, 1975. He went in to carry out the rites. When he flicked the first holy water and began to pray, 
he heard a masculine and demonic voice demand that he get out. When leaving the house, Father Manusco did not mention this incident to either George or Kathy at that point. On December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1975, Father Manusco called George Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard the mysterious and demonic voice. The former bedroom of Mark and John Matthew DeFeo, Kathy had planned to use it as a sewing room, but the call was cut short by static. Following the visit to the house, Father Manusco allegedly developed a high fever and blisters on his hands, which people say was similar to stigmata. At first, George and Kathy experienced nothing unusual in the house, talking about experiences subsequently, but reported it was if they were living each in a different house. By mid-January 1976, after another attempt at a house blessing by George and Kathy, they experienced what would turn out to be the final night in their home. The Lutzes declined to give a full account of the events that took place on this occasion, describing them as too frightening and traumatic to relive. After getting back in touch with Father Manusco, the Lutzes decided to take some belongings and stay at Kathy's mother's house in nearby Deer Park, New York, until they had sorted out their problems with this home. They claim that the phenomenon followed them there, and that the final scene of Anson's book describing greenish-black slime coming out of the staircase towards them. On January 14, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children and their dog Harry left 112 Ocean Avenue for once and all time, leaving all of their possessions behind. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions, to send it to the Lutzes wherever they were moving to. He reported no paranormal phenomenon inside the house. Now, this is where it gets interesting, folks. The book was written after Tam Mossman, an editor at the publishing house Prentice Hall, introduced George and Kathy Lutz to Jay Anson. The Lutzes did not work directly with Anson, but submitted around 45 hours of tape-recorded recollections to him. Now, these recordings, they were used as the basis of the book. Estimates of the sales of this book are around 10 million copies uh, from its numerous editions. Anson is said to have based the title of the Amityville Horror on the Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft, which was published originally in 1929. Obviously, Ed and Lorraine Warren, residents of Connecticut, they are best known to the American public and the world at large from their various investigations into supernatural phenomenon. I was lucky enough. You know, the Conjuring films have made them famous. Both of them have passed on. And uh, I was able to spend some time with Lorraine Warren. This is going back uh, into the early 2000s, before The Conjuring films made her and her husband's investigations world-renowned. I got to tell you, she was a lovely woman. She was very inviting. She showed me everything in the house, and she did warn me that it was best not to fixate on an object 
And if anything caught my attention or spoke out to me, to merely keep moving and allow it to leave. Before she showed me some of these things, she was also a devout Catholic, and she said a blessing. We went through the whole process, and I was able to look at some of these artifacts. And I gotta tell you, based on what I know, I believe their claims to be true. No one, this was their life's work. No one goes into so much of this for so many years. Look, it's hard for me to speak about it at length just because so much of it uh, really was an intimate setting, especially when someone allows you to come into their home and tell you about their life's work. Most famously, the Warrens are best known for their involvement in the 1975 Amityville Horror. For the most part, the Amityville Horror Conspiracy, authors Stephen and Roxanne Kaplan, characterized the case as a hoax. Lorraine Warren told a reporter for the Express Times newspaper that the Amityville Horror was indeed not a hoax. The reported haunting became the basis for the 1977 book in the films to come. Ed and Lorraine investigated the house, spent the night there, and she indeed says that there was malevolent and demonic infestation within the house, something very evil, something very dark that was living in that house. She couldn't explain it, but for one reason or another, she claimed that she was temporarily possessed by one of these evil forces and that it spoke to her and warned her not to proceed further. Now, they left the house Quite a bit of this was captured on film. It was done for a TV special at that time. And from what I know, from what I said, you know, when I was talking to Lorraine Warren, of course, because I'm from Long Island as a native, I had to ask her about it because how could you not? It's one of the most famous cases that they ever investigated. And she really did not want to talk about it. She said, listen, I don't know exactly what was going on in that house, but whatever is dwelling, whatever continues to live and exist there is evil, pure and simple, biblical evil. She said ever since they left that house, she never felt quite right. It was if something had grabbed her, possessed her, gotten inside of her, shook her, and warned her that it was best for them to move forward and forget what they had seen. I believe her claims to be true. I don't think anybody would go too far to make up some of this stuff. And apparently from that moment on, Lorraine was never the same. She really, I think, became, as we go into the 1980s, became much more apprehensive about going into places like this. Now, of course, as we do on this podcast, there are a lot of people out there who are just trying to make a buck. But I do believe in my heart of hearts, she found the darkness that dwelled in that house. We'll be right back with more of the Halloween Conspiracy with Jerry Horror. You've seen these guys at all the horror shows and comic cons. Now you can get your very own inked up merch, the finest in embroidered horror and sci-fi themed merchandise. From Lost Boys to Street Trash, from Chopping Mall to Cobra Kai, 
inked up has the best in embroidered beanies, baseball caps, and patches. Now they've even got their own Jaws-inspired Amity Island board shorts. You gotta take a look, these things are cool. Visit their Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash inked up merch. Are you looking to get your own printed or embroidered merch? Inked Up has been in business for over 10 years. Whether you're looking for merch for your band or you need crew logo shirts and hats for your first film production, you need some sick looking perks for your Kickstarter project, Inked Up can accommodate your needs with their custom silkscreen printing and embroidery services. Visit InkedUpMerch.com and tell them Jerry sent you. Monster lovers, young and old, living and dead, you can now make it Halloween all year round. The Gooligans are dying for you to check out their creepy comedy horror show now on their YouTube channel. Have you been ravenous for programs that are geared more towards your sick sensibility? Have you been fiending for horror and comedy so fun that it makes you want to scream? Well, dig no further. Full episodes of the Gooligans miniseries are available for you to sink your teeth into. And if you don't know about the Gooligans, it's like the monkeys meets the monsters meets Pee-wee's Playhouse. These fun party monsters exist purely to bring on the death of your life-sucking normal everyday TV show. The Gooligans follows the adventures of Boris Stein, the monstrous Frankenstein construct, Wolfgang W. Wolfgang, the likable lycanthrope, and Void, king of the slow zombies, joined by a cadre of your favorite cult cretins, including vampires, sea creatures, luchadors, and sexy go-go girls. Check out the full episodes of their miniseries now on the Gooligans YouTube channel, and have a scary good time. Stay spooky all year long at Strange Love Parlor, Long Island's exquisite oddities and curiosity parlor in Lindenhurst, New York. They've got some ghastly apparel. Strange Love Parlor supplies an array of goth jewelry, unisex horror-themed gear, Halloween accoutrement, monstrous purses and wallets, spooky pins, patches, and stickers, providing you with the most wonderful and the most strange of treasures. Visit Strange Love Parlor regularly to find the item of your dreams, or perhaps even your nightmares. Grab your ghoul gang and visit today. Strange Love Parlor in Lindenhurst, Long Island, New York. Look, there are many, perhaps even too many, wrinkles in this story Uh, but i was thinking because uh, look hey i know that the movies are just nonsense but there seems to be something consistent uh you know recently there was a amityville horror box set that came out and uh it's not very good but amityville 3d uh introduced something very interesting uh apparently there was some kind of a, a portal a gateway a demon comes out of this gateway uh, at, that's kind of the big conclusion of Amityville 3D. Uh, that very same portal was introduced in the, the remake with Ryan Reynolds. They, they spoke again of this portal, this doorway, uh, a gateway, you will, to something else, to another world. Uh, 
as we keep going through these episodes, I can't help but think that there seems to be a, a correlation. That it's not just one doorway. That there might be multiple gateways. I mean, they even get into that on the Stranger Things with the Upside Down. What are these portals? You know, folks, it's got me thinking that there might be a grain of truth or at least some kind of... I just can't seem to put the connection together. But, I don't know. All of this just... Folks, I, I look, I had a whole great episode planned, but this has really got stuck in my craw. You know, last week on the episode, we talked to that crank, uh, Krom Davdan. I don't know, but he, he talked about portals. We talked about that, right? The, uh, the veil of the living and the dead becoming thinner, perhaps something coming over to this side into our reality. Uh, oh, hey. Looks like I've got an email. Ooh, who is this? Oh, another faithful listener. Oh, it's our good pal Krom Davdan. Ring, ring? <laughs> this guy, man, I'm telling you, he is... Jesus. He's calling right now. This is him. Hello? Hello, Jerry. Uh, hi. How you doing? It's me, Dr. Krom Dobdon from the Aurora Institute. How are you? Um, fantastic. About those portals. Yes. That is the plan. Open up as many gateways as we possibly can on Long Island at all of the important places of haunted history. You know. Haunted History, the, the, your show. It's about the haunted history of Long Island, right? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Look, uh, uh, just call me a, a, a betting man, a guessing man. I don't know. Um, are you saying that all of these haunted attractions across Long Island contain these portals? Anywhere on Long Island that had something specific happen at it or something continuing to have something specific happen at it, like, you know... The investment of people's souls and screaming at haunted houses. You have been having a good time worshipping your pagan god, Samhain. Right? Uh, yeah, sure. All those places are gateways. And we're going to open up the last one this Halloween. Wait, wait, wait. The last one? Yes. What do you mean? The last gateway. Okay, and, and, and what Horror happens? Hill. Jerry Horror Hill. Hill. Horror Hill. Wait, wait. What happens exactly when you open this gateway? Well, how old are you now, Jerry? Well, uh, I mean, I'd like to lie about my age, but I'm 43. Do you remember in the late 80s, early 90s, I would say? It's, we speculate now. A haunted house is in Melville. It's called Horror Hill. You remember it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember Horror Hill. That place was... That was a scary-ass haunted house, I'll tell you that. Yeah, you know, it had that horror host, uh... What was his name? Dr. Doc, Dr. Dredd. Dr. Dredd was his name. That's right. I remember he used to be on all the advertisements. Yep. He had a public access TV show, and it was live from Horror Hill. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny you bring that up, because, um... 
that guy, that house, that attraction, as you call it, uh, was gigantic. I mean, everybody went to it. It, it was probably the, the biggest haunted attraction in all of Long Island. Um, this guy, this Dr. Dread character, I'm going to call him a character, he, uh, whatever happened to him? That's the mystery, isn't it, Jerry? Well, yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, uh, how much of it do you remember? Well, I remember that every year it was a little bit different. Um, you know, it's funny. Because that seemed to be a common thread among a lot of the people who went to the haunt itself. They used to tell me everybody kind of had different experiences. Um, I don't know if there were separate pathways or there were, you know, like if this thing was changing or people were being led through different areas. So that way you never had the same experience, kind of like a choose your own adventure. But one thing that I found this this correlation was that that attraction it's almost as if they knew what you were afraid of Mm, yes yes very good jerry you remember something that most of long island doesn't now i can't tell you if i've implanted this memory in you or if horror hill was or wasn't real but think back think back the aurora institute teamed up with dr dread they brought a reduced in scale sage radar tower to the location of Horror Hill. You, do you recall that? You ever hear stories about that? I mean, look, there was supposedly a satellite dish of some sort that they were using, uh, but I, I thought that was just a pipe in music or video. Yeah, right. It was a special broadcast of live from Horror Hill. It was the last broadcast from Horror Hill, Jerry. It was the last broadcast. You know, it's funny because uh, even though this was uh, documented via public access, it seems to be that no one actually has any of that video of what exactly transpired. Right, right, right. It seemed to have went missing, so to speak. Yes, yes. yes. Philadelphia Experiment, Jerry. Jerry, why don't you look that up real quick? The Philadelphia Experiment. Do that for me. I think I saw the film when I was younger, but... uh, Yes, what do you remember about that film, Jerry? Well, it seemed like the government was trying to, uh... Hmm. You know, this is all really interesting, but, um... Oh, yeah, the it was the experiment in 1943. The United States Navy, the sailors, they're basically thrown forward in time like it was a doorway to time travel of some sort. Am I getting this right? Yes, Jerry. Yes. Yes, you are. We're going to do it again, Jerry. Halloween night. This Halloween. We're going to bring back Horror Hill. It's going to be the last Halloween you see. Wait, uh, look. Uh, maybe I'm lost here, but you're going to bring back Horror Hill. Uh, that thing closed down. I mean, I, I, I thought there was some kind of a fire, like it burnt down or something. Yep. The Institute, they, uh, they condemned the property after, they, uh, after the accident. They bought it. Condemned the property. That's crazy. Yep. Now it's a sod farm. Yeah. Weird. Right by Mount Misery, though. Another gate. 
Yeah, yeah, we all know the stories of uh, Mount Misery. That place is uh, haunted as heck, as they say. Right, right, yep. Just another spot on the island that he can come through. So what you propose is that there are multiple doorways to this, uh, I believe you spoke of it being the Lord of the Dead, it's Samhain? Correct. So, okay, so he can use these doorways to just come and go as he pleases? So people like Halloween more now. You know, you have all these Halloween stores and it's becoming part of the culture, right? You would say Halloween's more popular. It's, it's getting more popular than Christmas, right? People spend more money per capita per household on Halloween than any other holiday now. I, I Listen, I think what you're inferring is that the public has been prepared or subjugated for the arrival of the Samhain character? That is correct, Jerry. Ah, come on, man. What are, <laughs> what are you smoking over there? That is absolutely, impossibly crazy. You realize how you sound right now. The listeners know because, you know, they're listening. You don't feel somewhat responsible for... Uh... I've played no part in any of this nonsense, okay? I don't know what kind of game that you... And, and the Stephen Bromley character. I don't know what you guys are doing, but this has got to be some kind of a prank, right? You're trying to make yourselves famous? No, Jerry. We don't care about fame. We care about finishing the deal. Finishing the deal. W would you care to elaborate on that? Maybe in the next episode. Gotta go. Hello? Are you kidding me? Dear God, this place is ridiculous. You know what? I, I, can't, I just can't. I mean, like, what is this? I, folks, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I, I started this podcast with good intention, but it seems that outside forces, uh, unreliable narrators, if you will, keep trying to intrude and uh, get across their message via this podcast. I am not going to stand for it, okay? Okay. I was here to talk about the Amityville horror and its possible door, possible doorways to another dimension. Oh, folks, I just got to chill up my spine. I got to tell you, something is uh, something greater is at work here. I'm just trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle, but I mean, come on, this is crazy. You know, like if this organization, this Aurora Institute is behind these doorways and they're using these haunted attractions like Horror Hill, which, by the way, there were all kinds of reports of people getting injured, uh, people getting hurt, experiencing things. All kinds of nonsense went on at that place. And maybe that's why it was so scary. I mean, back in the 80s, you could get away with anything. Things are different now. These places are safe and they're wholesome for the whole family. Uh... Horror Hill wasn't that. Basically, from what I gathered and what I experienced, they had a little something for everybody. I mean, come on. Oh, by the way, our sponsor this week is Dark Knight Halloween World. I promise that you won't get taken to another dimension. You'll just have a ton of family fun, candy apples, popcorn, spooky ghosts, Halloween. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Always glad to have them as a sponsor. They will not be opening any gateways or portals because uh, that doesn't sound like a safe trick-or-treating environment. I mean, am I right? You know, so definitely check out Dark Knight Halloween World, the sponsor of this show. Definitely check it out. You can get your tickets now. Don't forget, it will get sold out. It is a pretty big event. Looks to be a lot of fun. And there definitely will not be any gateways to hell. I promise. Well, this certainly has been a strange, if not informative episode. Uh, I mean, come on. I just wanted to tell you guys about some of this neat stuff that I had going on. You know, uh, the Amityville Horror, which is a world-famous case. Elizabeth and Ed Warren, who made popular by The Conjuring films. But apparently there are greater forces at work here. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because these two characters keep trying to uh, take over my podcast. And I got to tell you, folks, it's kind of starting to freak me out. Anyway, this has been the Halloween Conspiracy with me, your host, Jerry Hara. Don't forget to have a happy haunting season. Sick Boy Wolfgang production. Thanks for listening.